Hello and welcome to Sightless Fun, a podcast about board game accessibility for people who are blind and vision impaired. I am Jen Alexander and with me is Artai Shashko. How are you today, Artai? Hey Jed, I'm fine. Looking forward to talking board games with you today. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about King of New York slash King of Tokyo, as well as discussing what you can do to help or accommodate people who are blind and vision impaired at your gaming table. But first, Atai, do you have any recent board game experiences you want to tell us about today? Oh yeah, recently it was a bit slow, but still got to play some Secret Hitler with a few mates because some of them are going to leave my town for a while and we won't be able to get back together so I tried organizing a larger group this time usually just four to five people and this time around we got about eight and so yeah we played Secret Hitler it was like 80% of the players were new to the game so I didn't really expect to have quality games but to my surprise the last two games were like pretty good and it made me reconsider playing secret with secret hitler with people that are in a relationship because at one point uh the arguments got so heated that i was like oh no are they just going to break up <laughs> but yeah it was like the the random uh, the app just decided to put them in, on different teams. And at the last game, they were together, but they were just, just, they didn't trust each other at all. So, and of course, they got into a conflict. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was quite, quite fun. Like everyone enjoyed it. Like people were a bit sad, the ones that are going to, move for a few months to another city that they won't be able to make it again but yeah other than that i'm still waiting for a couple of games to arrive so i can just try something new and that's about it how about yourself did you get to play anything unfortunately not i have i have some stuff coming up but not not anything recently we've wrapped up uh, wrapped up our Dungeons and Dragons campaign I'm working on some new stuff uh and we will mm-hmm. be doing a board game day soon within the next few days but until then I haven't played any board games in a little bit of a while but I should be doing quite a bit in the next uh, week or so so no oh, that sounds great and we may even get out today's featured game, or one of them, I should say, because we're kind of covering two here, which is King of Tokyo, which I own, and you have King of New York. Yes. Very, very fun game. Do enjoy. Plays three to six players in around 35 to 40 minutes and is published by IELLO. It's designed by Richard Garfield, which I didn't know until having a look uh, about the game for our recording today, who, if you don't know, is the guy who did Magic the Gathering. So, there you go. Interesting. Small world. It's uh, quite a simple game. 
In it, you are going to be playing monsters, which are trying to take control and be the one, be the greatest monster in all of Tokyo or New York, uh, taking out the competition or winning through victory points. It uses a Yahtzee-style dice mechanic, where on your turn, you're going to be rolling six dice, and you're going to be uh, getting to re-roll some or all of those dice up to two more times, and you're looking to create sets of numbers, one, two, or three, and you need three of those, so three ones or three twos or three threes, to score victory points, hearts that heal you, lightning bolts that give you energy, which is the game's currency, or paw prints, which do damage to your opponents. That's pretty much it. You take out your opponents, they're knocked out of the game, you make it to 20 victory points, you win the game. You go to zero uh, You go to zero health, then you're out. If you're the last one standing, you win. If you get to 20 victory points, as I said, you win. So very simple, uh, very, very quick, really, 35 to 40 minutes, and quite a lot of fun. Uh, there's a little bit more to it there in, in terms of strategy, as you are moving in and out of the central city of either Tokyo or New York. So there's a bit of strategy involved in when to leave, when to go in, uh, as well as what items to buy at any one time. There'll be three face up, and some of them are arguably better than others. So you want to keep an eye out for those things. It's also you know, a very accessible game, as, as we'll get to. But, Ertai, do you want to just go through a little bit about what, what does King of New York add to these basic concepts that King of Tokyo introduces? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, King of New York is the sequel to King of Tokyo, and it basically tries to improve on the system by adding a few other mechanics. Basically, uh, what they have done is they got rid of the 1, 2, and 3 icons on the dice, which give you victory points, just because playing only for victory points promoted pacifism in the game. So some players uh, were just trying to stay alive without attacking other players and just ramp up those victory points to win uh, the game faster. So in King of New York, those numbers are replaced with a building icon, a skull icon and a star icon. The building icon lets the monsters attack buildings in the city or once a building is destroyed the building turns into a military unit basically the military arrives and there are like tanks uh, jeeps and airplanes that you can destroy the skull icon on the other hand also called an ouch icon makes the military units in your location attack you now depending on how many you roll like uh, you can also make a strategy to roll for ouch icons like if you roll three ouch icons all the military units in the map attack all monsters so basically you can also attack other players by playing for the military basically you also get damaged but you can also uh, destroy another monster by rolling for the skull icons then there's the star icon which is the only icon that lets you get victory points uh, it's similar to uh, king of tokyo that you first need to roll three star icons 
you get a superstar card and then in your other turns while you have the superstar card every time you roll a star you get victory points for it other players can roll three stars to steal the superstar card from you and then they are eligible for winning victory points by rolling star icons uh, other than that one key difference is that king of tokyo only has Tokyo as a location and outside of Tokyo, while King of New York has multiple boroughs, uh, the boroughs of uh, New York, like you have Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, Staten Island, uh, Manhattan. So you can choose a location and during your movement phase, which is after you roll and resolve your dice, you can move uh, between boroughs, basically, like if you need to get some more health, uh, you can prepare and move to another borough where there's a hospital building. And then when you destroy the hospital, you get health points. Or when you destroy a power plant, you can get the energy cubes, which are used as the currency in the game. Moving is also important when your borough is overrun by military. So you're trying to avoid getting shot by the military, basically on other players' turns. So yeah, it adds a little bit more st strategy. Some people don't really like it because it's a little bit more complex than King of Tokyo. There's a little bit more things to pay attention to. But I quite enjoy it. I haven't got to play it as much as I wanted. <laughs> people think it's a little bit more com complicated, at least the group that I'm playing with. And yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say... You say that some people prefer, you know, don't don't enjoy it as much, and uh, Board Game Geek would seem to be on that side because the rating for King of Tokyo is uh, 0.2 higher than King of New York. I mean, they are very similar games, really. That I, I, I have a feeling that because they're so similar, if you had King of Tokyo, you probably wouldn't bother getting King of New York, even uh, if you liked the idea of the new. Uh, concepts, new mechanics that they had added in. Uh, and an all important question before we get to discussing the accessibility of the game which monster? Oh, Sheriff, I think, in King of New York. The Dino, the T Rex with <laughs> the gun. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know any of the monsters in King of New York, but from King of Tokyo, I'm always the Mecha Dragon because he is the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think man. everyone I think everyone I think everyone usually skips the alien but otherwise uh I think it's, it's usually mecha dragon Gojira goes pretty quick as well good times Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's 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 also Kong in New uh, New York Yeah I think, uh, the ape Yeah I think it just has just has a, an ape it's not I don't think it I can't remember if it is called Kong or it's not yeah, I can't remember. There's Mothra. Pretty sure there's Mothra anyway. Maybe <laughs> I haven't played in a while. <laughs> it's yeah, but but I can. Yeah, the good thing, the good thing is that you can uh, combine the monsters basically. Yeah. Like if you have both games, you can just reuse a monster uh, from the other game. Like yeah, you can because use there's no difference Kong between New York in terms of Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, function. They just yeah. They just have their board, uh, the player with the dials where you can track health victory points. Yeah. 
uh, their stands. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really just neat. an aesthetic change. If you only have King of New York, mm. you can play with the King of Tokyo rules if you can find the King of Tokyo Halloween pack, which basically just gives you the King of Tokyo dice and some other small bo- bonuses. Mm. So, yeah, if you don't want to purchase uh, the full King of Tokyo game and you think manage to find the King of Tokyo Halloween pack, you can still play King of Tokyo with the King of New York stuff. There you go. And that Halloween pack. There you go. I did not know that. Well, we should probably move on, though, to talk about the accessibility of the game, which I think you and I both agree is quite good. Really good, in oh, fact. Oh, yeah. Would you like to run us through why that is? Yeah, so the first part is the amazing dice. Like, the dice that I got from King of New York are the best in my collection, basically. They are pretty large. I think they're, they are 20 millimeter, if not 21. I haven't measured, but compared to the other games that come with standard 16 millimeter or 12, mm-hmm. they're like huge when put one to the other. And they, the build quality is great. Like the icons are indented basically. They are very large, which is great for visually impaired players. So it's, they are uh, dark themed basically. So they are pretty high contrasted and it's overall, it's great. You can also feel the icons by touch. A couple of them can be a bit problematic, but if you are completely blind, you can also figure out the icons by touch. Now that will slow down the game a bit. But because it's all public information, other players just letting you know uh, what you rolled and just taking the those dice for you, like before you re-roll the others, uh, it goes pretty fast. Like it's only six dice and at some point can be seven or eight, depending on a power-up that you buy. But usually it's... Uh, for, so for completely blind people... It's quite fast for the player sitting next to you just tell you what you rolled and just taking those dice that you want to keep and putting them away while you re-roll the others. So yeah, I really like the dice in this game. Yeah, and I think that's that's like the biggest bonus that there is no hidden information. It's And the information that is required to be consumed is really straightforward it's really simple it's not big long sentences or paragraphs of text or information all of the upgrades are like less than 25 words to describe what they do probably half that probably 10 or 12 words it's all really straightforward concepts so for someone to relay that information to you it's not difficult, you know. I say, what are the three upgrades that we currently have out when they're turned up? You know, those are read out. And then once I've got some energy cubes, maybe I'll ask again, what are the upgrades? Um, and it's the same with yeah. rolling the dice. If I'm not sure, you know, if, I mean, I can still read the dice fine, but if, if I wasn't, well, someone could just very, very quickly tell you what you had and you could shift them around and put put aside the ones you don't want to re-roll and re-roll the ones you do. So, yeah, it's really straightforward, really 
yeah. really easy. And it's also like uh, with the power up cards, the market, well, when you put three up in the marketplace, uh, for instance, even if a sighted player is sitting across the table, he won't be able to read them as well. So yeah. reading the cards is necessary even if there are no visually impaired players around yeah. the table. So yeah, that's, that's pretty neat. Once you purchase the card, it remains face up. It remain. You can always ask, "Oh, what was this card again?" And because the information's pretty straightforward and simple, it'd be fairly easy to mark them. Uh, probably, if you were just going to use like tape, you'd want to mark them and have a ref- probably have a reference uh, on hand as well. Otherwise, brailing them would be very pretty straightforward. I, it's not a huge usually. Usually in a game, at least in the games I've played, you don't really get to buy too many cards just to forget yeah. uh, what they were about. I mean, at most, I think we've had a player have three cards. Yeah, I was about to say that too. I think three and is what I've seen it's, too. Yeah, it's quite easy to memorize, at least. The, there aren't many complicated cards. I think there are only a couple, like which add tokens or some other things. The only other element I would say that maybe with you would you would always need someone to assist you with is your health and victory point trackers but even then there are other systems that you could put in place to track those things with you had ca- yeah. you know, two pools of counters or something that you the vision impaired player or the blind player could uh, shift things in and out of and so on and so forth that would make that easy for them to track rather than the the wheels that are on the uh, on your player board on your monster board, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that. Uh, the health and victory point dials are a bit problematic for me. Now, usually I just memorize my own numbers and every time I either get damaged or win victory points, I just say the numbers out loud just to confirm with the others. I mean, some this player sitting next to me usually rotates my dials and... Uh, as they rotate, I just confirm verbally, basically. So yeah, that's that's one of the problems. The currency, on the other hand, is not a big problem because it's only one type of currency. So it's just those little energy cubes. And yeah, you can just count them <laughs> by touch, basically. So you can keep track of how much you have. So you don't have multiple denominations where you need to keep track of if whether one of them is worth five or ten. So yeah, that's that's also an added good thing in the accessibility. One last point I want to make about the accessibility of the military and building units in King of New York is if your vision is very low or you're completely blind, you will need another sighted player to let you know how many of them are located where. So for instance, at the beginning of your turn, you will need the information of what kind of military units or what kind of buildings are located in your location to make the correct decision whether you want to attack them to destroy the buildings or military units or you can roll for energy cubes or try to attack other players. So to sum up, you will need sighted assistance in this part just like you will need it for rolling the dice. So that is King of New York slash King of Tokyo. Big thumbs up from both of us, both in terms of it being a very enjoyable, or them being a very enjoyable games, as well as being really accessible. And we touched on there, Atai, about how other players can help the blind or vision impaired player 
play King of Tokyo slash King of New York. And it also touches on some, some sort of common themes of, of things that a gaming group can do all the time to assist with, uh, with, uh, assist a blind or vision impaired player, uh, play the game that you have at the table. I think the first thing we have to say is that if you are the sided player or you're, you're, you're a group of sided players and there's only one vision impaired player, whatever the case is, you are gonna have to be understanding that you're going to need to do a little more than you normally would to help that blind or vision impaired player play the game. For example, you know, starting with setup, the blind or vision impaired player is unlikely to be able to assist much with setup. You should try and get them involved, but it's probably going to be some fairly sort of um, basic assistance. It's, it's going to be, you know, they'll shuffle some cards for you or count up some components that are all identical. But the more the things of like setting up a board or separating different components, especially if they're the same shape but different colors, they have different information on them or uh, p- giving people particular cards, that is going to be something that's more challenging and is going to be not something that they will be able to do. Yeah, I agree. And But even though they... Well, let's say I'm not saying they. I'm going to say we, because I'm also one of <laughs> uh, the visually impaired... Belong to the visually impaired group. So it's best to involve every player. So not just the blind or the sighted players, but if you can involve every player uh, during setup and not let just one of you do the full setup of the game. It usually is a better experience and less boring for the others. So, yeah, I agree. Um, just handing cards for shuffling to the blind player or dealing cards that are face up or face down, depending on the game, uh, is usually a, a nice thing to do. And it makes the players feel like they are contributing to the setting up and usually that improves the time the game is set up basically it's faster and everyone is participating so yeah it's generally a great thing that's also for the tear down like when a blind player can easily just grab components and put them in a bag so yeah you should involve players more during this phase in general not just the blind and visually impaired but sighted players as well of course, you know, confession, I usually just get the sighted players to sort it all out. <laughs> it's just easier. I mean, I do I do card shuffling and I, I, I tend to be the supervisor. I give the instructions of what needs to be where because I've read the rules and I know what we're doing. Uh, and then using uh, when we're packing up, I'm usually one of the ones to Tetris a lot of the stuff because, you know, they're my games and... I know how I've stashed them in there to get all the bits <laughs> yeah, to fit, that, basically. That sounds <laughs> very familiar. Because I'm always like, after the game is packed, and I'm like, okay, so now you look under the table and make sure there are no components mm. there. <laughs> so that's one thing, but what else can sided players do? Choosing a game, basically, is quite important as well. Like So even before setup, 
Like, uh, depending on how experienced the blind or visually impaired player is, you don't want to bring out Mysterium to the table. <laughs> you never I mean, want to you... bring out Mysterium to the table. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, now, I haven't played it. I've had some ideas, which I've actually shared on Twitter. Like, what if Mysterium was made with sound effects in mind? Basically, replace the hints with sound effects and the ghost is listening to sounds and driven by an app but i'm not sure how that would work <laughs> but yeah uh, to go back it's important to try to choose an accessible game basically like usually good ideas are co-op games where there is no hidden information usually hidden information is a problem especially if the players are new but uh, so games like pandemic can be nice, like Burgle Brothers can be a good game to choose. Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. I haven't yet tried Forbidden Sky, but I believe that one could be playable as well. I think that one involves more uh, tinkering with the components, with the uh, cables and electricity. It has some interesting toys in that game. But I believe that one could also be playable. You could also play competitive games like the game that we talked about today. Or should I say uh, games? King of Tokyo and King of New York are great competitive accessible games. They are also gateway games. But still, uh, I know that people experienced in the hobby still enjoy these games. So yeah, another game I would suggest would be Camel Up. Also a competitive game with very minimal hidden information. It's just five cards that are hidden and you can just memorize them, just order them for the blind player. So yeah, there's there's plenty of games that you can choose, especially if the blind player is new. Yeah, I mean I mean we'll we'll be talking about more of those in the future and, and so on. But uh it's I think it's it's something like choosing a game, it's it's something that applies to everyone you know it's 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 not just blind or vision impaired players if you're you know hosting someone for the first time or host it's it's anyone you have to you have to be mindful of what sort of game is best to bring to the table so if someone has not played much you know it doesn't have a huge amount of experience with board games before then you should be mindful of that and, and pick a game accordingly. And it's exactly the same when there is a player who's blind or vision impaired. It's, you know, no different in that uh, regard. Yeah. Well, except when there's a blind or visually impaired player, you need to filter a little bit more mm. because there are, let's say, gateway games that can be really played that well. Mm. For instance, Carcassonne, you've already covered mm. that game, and it would be a real challenge for a completely blind player. Could be mm. playable by a visually impaired one, depending on the degree. But even though it's an easy game to pick up for sighted players, it can be a bit problematic for, let's say, visually impaired or quite frustrating for blind players. Yeah. Just because there are, even though the information is all uh, open, all public, there's nothing hidden because of the amount of choices and the matching of tiles, it just gets too hard for mm. the blind player. And then there's Mysterium. <laughs> <laughs> we should do an episode on Mysterium sometime. 
mostly it'll just <laughs> yeah. be me like going on about how much I think the game is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> so continuing on, we have already spoken a bit when we're talking about King of New York, King of New York, and King of Tokyo about sighted assistance. That is the assistance that sighted players can lend to uh, players who are blind or vision impaired. It's about being ready as a sighted player to read out information when it's requested or when you know that it would, you know, when you can tell that it would be a good time to read out information. So, for example, in King of New York and King of Tokyo, when someone purchases an upgrade card, another one is turned face up. So, when that card is turned face up, rather than just turning it face up and putting it on the table, you should be reading it out loud to everyone. Probably something you'd do already for that game anyway, but there are other games where you know, you may not you may not be doing that. So, you should be uh, you know, talking about the changes that are taking place on uh, the game board and be prepared to assist the blind player or the vision impaired player uh, decipher either the game state or the lay of, of cards that are in front of them, whatever the case is. Yeah, I would like to add to this, uh, well, this also moves to another point, like announcing uh, your moves, but it's linked with what you just said about the cards. Mm. Basically, for instance, in Camel Up, you have this dice pyramid that you use to roll the dice, and from that pyramid, one die comes up. And what's happened to me is, let's say, race is towards the end, and let's say the blue one needs to roll a three, to win or the yellow one needs to roll a two to get ahead and now everyone's expecting what will come up so a player just uh, uses the pyramid rolls the die and when the dice pops up because the other players can see they immediately have the reaction of like yay or oh no and as the blind player you don't really know what happened at that point so that's i mean it could take away maybe from their experience to first explain like what the die was and then cheer but i've had like experience when i had no idea what was going on because i had no idea what the die that was rolled was so yeah sometimes you could be left out (laughs) until they tell you like what happened yeah, and it can be it can be frustrating to get a sighted player's attention if they're too busy getting wrapped up in the moment in situations like that, because you constantly repeat what's you know what was rolled, what was rolled, what's happening, and everyone's too busy laughing and talking about what's happened rather than saying this is what happened. And the, another sort of thing about announcing moves is simply the simple act of announcing when your turn concludes, especially if you're the player that plays in turn order before the sighted, uh, the <laughs> vision in bed or, or blind player. It's really important that you say, it's now your turn, whoever, you know, my turn is over. It's now your turn. King of Tokyo, King of New York, really good example of that. When you finish rolling your dice, announce the results that you're going to be taking, what you've settled with, make that happen and then say, it's now, you know, Urtai's turn, it's now whoever's turn. Announce that because if you don't, a vision impaired or a, side of, or a blind player isn't 
always going to know, even if they're even if they're vision impaired. Like with me, with no peripheral vision, I'm only looking exactly at the very pinpoint location that I'm looking at. It's it's not always obvious that someone's you know drawn a card and played a card or rolled some dice and passed some dice. You don't know, so it's really important to announce that your turn has concluded. Yeah, and this is also important in games that have different turns, basically different playing orders. Like there are some games where you start with one order and then depending on the points that people have, the turn order changes. So it's even harder for the blind player to track basically what's uh, what's happening. And uh, announcing moves is not also good for like announcing your turns end, but also while you're playing, for instance, let's uh, take Pandemic. It's good to state out loud where you're going and what you're treating, which disease you're treating, so that a blind player can update the board state in their mind, basically. Mm. That's that's very helpful for me when playing Pandemic. So I try to encourage people to just talk while they're doing their move, just explain what they're doing, just so I can stay up to date and don't have to bother later on, like, what did you do and what did she do, or... Similar, similar questions. I noticed in, uh, well, I've noticed this a lot of times, but in the past week when we played Secret Hitler, uh, one of the problems that I noticed was uh, when someone's discussing about, let's say, about a player or two, and when they point to a player and say him, and point to another uh, player and say her, and as a visually impaired or blind player, you don't see where he's pointing exactly. <laughs> and there are times when you get lost, like, who you are talking about. So using people's names, even though it sounds very simple, it can be very helpful because then you need to stop that player and then ask him, okay, so what, who are you talking about? And it can break the flow I- in a discussion. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, like when... They're talking about someone around the table and you're not sure <laughs> who they're talking about exactly. No, I mean, we, in those sort of instances, I think we've always used, I think I've always used names. It's, it's only, yeah, yeah, I, I think in those sort of, but certainly, you know, it's another, it's a good, um, it, it probably, possibly would pop up more if you were going to a gaming group. So playing with people who weren't familiar with each other that might not remember you know, people's names and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's certainly another really good point, especially in those yeah. social deduction games. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, my, my personal way of speaking is I don't tend to use names at all. Um, mm-hmm. but just in, in social deduction games, I, I certainly would. And the only time I wouldn't is if, uh, with, with something like you make it you. very clear who you're accusing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another point I would like to talk about is if you're providing player aids to the players, like if you get something from Board Game Geek, there are some games that come with aids, but there are also custom ones you can get from Board Game Geek, from people who have played the game and have created their own aids. It's important to, depending on the sight of the visually impaired player depending on how much it's impaired you should either try to increase let's say the font size 
or if the player is completely blind, try to provide a PDF document that can be accessed by their by the screen reader on their phone, and because that will be really helpful. And if you're doing this before playing the game, like before the group meets, it will basically save you time, and it will also help other sighted players from uh, not having to read the aids to the blind player. This way, they can just grab their phone if they're completely blind, fire up the PDF, and just use their screen reader to go through the contents. And the final thing that we are going to touch on here is about take-backsies. That's undos, taking your turn back. It's going to be inevitable if you're playing with a blind or vision impaired player that they will make a mistake. And they'll make a mistake because they don't have the information that a sighted player does about you know, looking at a looking at a board state and seeing what the situation is and uh or they they make a move and they think they're going somewhere that has a particular you know, thing but it doesn't and they don't know that because they can't see it or they don't know to ask the question. So you should be prepared to be a little more lenient on allowing moves to be retracted or decisions to be remade because those sort of situations will occur and it can like really suck if you got a player who's trying to make good decisions and they think they've made a good decision but oh it turns out that was a stupid thing to do because there was something they didn't know and now you're telling them oh no you can't take it back too bad well their game is basically going to go downhill and they're not going to they're not going to enjoy what they're doing because they're you know if they're really especially if they're really trying to be competitive or they're really trying to do their best um they're they're hamstrung in that regard yeah i i agree i've happened i've had this happen to me a few times and uh the first time it ever happened i remember people like didn't say anything until like two other turns like two other players played and then one of them just uh, aired i do you know what you played right and i'm like yeah i think so and then they just told me that I played a card face up instead of face down. So everyone else saw what I was doing. So, yeah, it, it's something that can happen. Like, uh, especially if you play a lot with components and if you have something that's hidden, you might flip a card the wrong way around and not be aware that you've done that. So, yeah, things like that can happen. I think that pretty much wraps up our discussion for this week on... King of New York, King of Tokyo, and how you can help uh, integrate or uh, you know help blind or vision impaired players at your table get the most out of the game you are playing. If you would like to know more or are interested in the topic further, you can head over to sightless.fun where you can read our accessibility overviews of various games as well as other topics are related to being blind and vision impaired and playing games. You can also interact with us on Twitter at sightlessfun or email us via sightlessfun at outlook.com. We hope you'll join us next time and until then, happy gaming.
This episode was hosted by Jed Alexander and Ertai Shashko. Our episode editor is Alpai Shashko. We'd also like to extend a special thank you to Fighting Windmills for allowing us to use their music in our podcast. You can find them at fightingwindmillsmk.bandcamp.com.